Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction podcast, where each week I start talking to a very special guest about their relationship with clothes. But we end up skidding off track into all sorts of fascinating territory. If you've joined us before, forgive me for banging on about it, but for those coming to us new, there are now 33 episodes to find, download and share with the rest of the world. They include chats with Michel Visage, Reverend Richard Coles, oh I love him, Steph McGovern, Nal Rogers, Nicola Benedetti and even this lady who you've probably never heard of, she's got a very odd name, Trini. But let's get on to today's guest. He's so adored that he has not one, but two shows named after him. He's the absolutely divine Jeremy Vine. When not cycling between Channel 5 and Radio 2, he also somehow found time to write a new novel called The Diver and the Lover. Is there anything that this man cannot do? Just a quick warning about the sound, however. We had a slight technical issue, which means my audio sounds like I'm speaking from the back of my wardrobe, so apologies for that. Jeremy's voice is thankfully as clear and as silky as ever. So, let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. So, this is quite unusual for me, to interview someone who I've only met being interviewed by. And part of that was on a bicycle, my least favourite mode of transport. Of course, it's Jeremy Vine, cyclist lover and and kind of champion. And of course, Jeremy Vine show and the Radio 2 show, which you've been doing for how many years? 17 years or something ridiculous. Wait, wait a minute, let me think, because I was about... 27. No, hang on. It was 2003, no. January the 6th. No, I was 27. You're such no. a filthy liar. <laughs> I was 38. And the funny thing was that the, the legendary guy who took over from me was called Jimmy Young, and he was 44 years older than me. And that's an incredible thing. So he was doing it live for two hours a day at the age when my granny was in a nursing home. I still find that incredible. I mean, he yeah, he was 88. It was astonishing. How did he find it when he was finally probably very politely after his time was up oh i don't think he was happy he brought lawyers in i mean we're back in the day here because i think yeah and i see at the time i thought oh what a silly thing to 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 think you could stop the station moving you on now i'm doing his job across i think well hey how dare they excuse me yeah (laughs) <laughs> all presenters, all the end, it, we all end up thinking the managers only do heating and lighting, and then suddenly they come and say, "Sorry, we want someone else to do this job." Can't yeah. believe, believe it. it. Yeah, but has that ever happened to you? Anything like that? You've never been what, what, used bounced, being bounced, or well, I suppose, oh yeah, yeah. Of course, I think it's happened to everybody. You, you, you know, I did Crime Watch, for example, and then, in fact, actually, what the thing about Crime Watch, which was. I mean, I should have read this better, but I didn't realise it was basically on its last legs and they thought they'd give it one more year. 
and see if they can <laughs> change it. And, turn. and I should have realised it was one more year instead of thinking, because what they, they don't say it's one more year. They say this is a big moment for you, Jeremy, you know. And, and in fact, to be honest with you, I don't regret it because I've always wanted to do Good Evening and that music. Dun, 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 dun. And then don't have nightmares and all that. Yeah, so I, I, that was an ambition. But then it's pa always painful. You never want to be on a sh bounced off a show. I mean, for goodness sake. But it happens to all of us with everything in the end. Yep, ha happens to all of us. And did you wear, because you are known, Jeremy, and you know this is the obvious question for you. Um, you always wear really bright clothes. Well, shirts in particular. And I was sort of wondering, where have you always been like that? Is it? Have you always been drawn to colour and flamboyance? <laughs> no, I've started a little bit, Susanna, on, on TV, actually, doing that. And it's, it's, I don't, I mean, I always think people who wear bright shirts are people who don't actually have a natural personality and are trying to make up for it with <laughs> colour <laughs> or, or from others. So I'm absolutely busted on that. I think people who are very expressive and confident in themselves, as I'm not, uh, they just wear light blue. But yeah, I wear yeah. for a lot of floral, floral designs, and I'm under attack at home at the moment because I've bought a load, and I'm I, I tend to be home a bit later than than my wife at the moment, and and they've already sorted through what I've bought, and so by the time I come home, I'm already getting the piss taken out of me for what have you got now, you know? And, well, I, and it is a lot of colour. I'll tell you where I found a place, and I pay full price. So let me say that Hawes and Curtis online, and ask for a high collar. And I go medium slim fit shirt and you can get some really extraordinary designs. They're brilliant. High collar is good for you because you've got a long neck. It's not so much that. It's the, the I mean, a number of things have happened in our society where we should have had a full referendum and we didn't. One of them is the way that they drop the alcohol units allowed weekly from 21 to 14. No consultation at all. And the other one is <laughs> they, they, you know, suddenly ties went out. And yeah. all blokes were left with office shirts, and I'm sort of demonstrate, demonstrating to this usually on our Zoom call here, office shirts which were really low and small and without a tie, you've got nothing going on. So we need to all switch to higher collars. It's a big... Oh, what's that? That's Mr. Chow. He's bright. You're oh, like him. He's bright. I love that. Yeah. I literally... that Because I looked down and then I looked up, the budgie appeared in your hair in between. He was in my hair. And I thought you were doing magic. No, no, sorry, I interrupted your, <laughs> I interrupted your, your um, collar moment. I've, I've, I have got a shirt story, which is this. Round the corner from the BBC, there was a shop in Conduit Street called Inferno, I think bizarrely, Inferno 9, right? And I discovered them, and, every, and this is about 20 years ago. And I still Inferno 9, sounds like, sounds like a sex shop. I know, I don't know what, I don't know what the actual basis of it was, but it sold shirts with not just collars, these, these were proper Harry Hill, massive collars. And I got really addicted. And everyone was asking me where you got your shirts from. And I used to go in this shop. They were very expensive, about, you know, 90 pounds each or something. So at, at some point, I felt so at home in this shop that I some customers mistook me for one of the sales staff and were asking about <laughs> these shirts. And I started helping them because I got completely into character. And I said, you know, well, this one here is a really nice shirt. And then the actual sales staff came along and told me off. They said, excuse me, uh, he, this man doesn't work here. And I was really, I know, I, was, I really felt humiliated and I never went back. And it was oh, last no. about six months later and I thought the curse, Lady of Shalott, the curse has come upon them, you know. Oh. You can't, I was a brilliant customer and they treated me badly. Okay, well, we have to find another 
store for you to... Um, well, this online one's working well. Are you not happy with it, the colours? No, for you to actually go and sell. I think you'd be a brilliant salesman. Oh, I go in store. Yeah, I'd love to be. I think selling is all about time taken and you need to not be rushed and you need to... I, met, I, I tell you who I interviewed the other day. You'll love this guy. You'll know him, Paul Smith. And, he, and he's yeah incre worth 70 million and has time for everyone and he said when he started off what he realized as a salesperson he was in a very nasty unpleasant small room with no windows and he realized that customers don't want to come in and straight away talk about what they want to buy they want to talk about something else so we had a couple of interesting objects on the desk one was a pen knife from paris and then there was a very old map and he would always start the conversations about those things first and then he could make the sale very smart that's very smart. Well, you as a frustrated salesman, we're going to have to find a little <laughs> opening for you in a, in a boutique that's struggling right now. But, but again, going back to colours, because your brother Tim, who's a brilliant comedian, um, he loves bright colours too. So it must be a family thing, surely. But what's the alternative? I mean, it seems to me, you know, if you haven't got bright colours, you've got John Major. So we need... we. I don't see, I don't see, although, I mean, it's true. I think for years, blokes have struggled with flannel, you know, with yeah. greyness. And we've suddenly been allowed to break out. And, and of course, previously, the bright colour would all be in the tie. So you'd have the Jon Snow tie, and that would be the most tiny expression. That is exactly it. You, that is spot on. It's because the tie, there's no need for a tie anymore. It's, it's resorting to brightly coloured shirts, which I think are great. It's like my husband's wears brightly coloured shirts too and I love it my son does as well and I love them but um, but, I, but I, I would draw I want to be clear in case anyone misunderstands I would draw the line at red trousers I think anyone who wears a pair of red trousers should I agree. be arrested I agree yeah totally agree my husband yeah, did buy some and absolutely. they mysteriously disappeared <laughs> so I mean do you have any you clearly love clothes and I, I love that about you and but did you do you have any sort of style icons when you were growing up I don't feel I do love clothes because I mean the only when I was young I just looked like Leo Sayer. My mum saw him on top of the pops and How is that a, a tartan. I don't know. She just bought me one shirt and I wore it until the arms fell off. So I did honestly. There's no there's no clothing gene. It's only meeting people like you I realise how important it is. But in terms of style icons, I would say as a, as a sort of wilting teenage, unconfident, unblokey boy. Obviously, it was Bowie because Bowie was somebody who, and I mustn't cry when I talk about him because how on earth he died in his 60s, I've got no idea. But he was somebody who was so unusual that I thought, oh, my goodness, you, can, you don't actually have to be like everybody else. The school I went to, it really was like that play, good and bad at games. If you were not good at games or rugby or whatever... You, you were worth less than a small piece of fluff on the floor. So we were all a bit traumatised. The they were the jocks, we were the nerds. The nerds then went out and got jobs in broadcasting to make up for it. So Bowie was the nerd leader. Yeah, he's, he's, well, look, I've got my, my Bowie Aladdin Sane. strike. Yeah, Aladdin Sane, there you go. Um, but I know I agree that with Bowie. And it's interesting, so many people having done this podcast, male and female, um, quote Bowie as being their their icon so. really okay let me just think yeah 
I do think as well, God, I just love, if you get me onto music, we'll never stop. But in 1972, they had the first album from Roxy Music came out. And so it was Brian Ferry, Brian Eno. Ferry needed Eno. Eno was very unconventional uh, yeah. and Ferry turned out to be very conventional. So when Eno left, the whole thing went wrong. But that lot, if you look at that first Gatefold album, the costumes they're in are extraordinary, you know. So again, it was that was all Anthony Price, wasn't it, who designed their clothes? Was it? Was it? Yeah, it was, it was all the velvet suits and everything, and they they yeah. were quite um, they were quite feminine in a way. It's like sure. you looked at them, and I looked at them, and I looked at Brian Ferry, who I he was one of my icons, is one of my icons, and um, I would think I could wear that too. And the same with Bowie, I'd look at him and I go, okay, I could wear that. Yeah, I do trouble with with old. Brian Ferry, as somebody said to me, who, who'd been his tour manager, they said this, this guy's been famous for so long that he's not got any sense anymore of what it's like to be uh, normal. So he said he got a call from him. He was on, in Tokyo Ferry and he calls, hello, how do I turn the heating down in the hotel room? <laughs> and this, the tour manager's in London. Ferry's on holiday in Tokyo. He, he says, go to the wall. And there'll be a little thermostat, Brian, and you just turn it. I don't, I can't find the thermostat. So, oh my God. yes, I know, I know, it's another world. Yeah, it's another world, Jeremy. It is another world, and one, thankfully, we don't have to inhabit. Indeed. Uh, now it's even worse. But, um, but you, yeah, talking about your obsession with music, you had your band, the Flared Generation. Correct. How nice. It's so amazing to see you say those words. That's an incredible thrill for me. The Flared Generation. Did that come from the trouser? Yes, it was very much the trouser. Okay. Yeah. Because the idea was we, we tried very earnestly and hard as teenagers to become very famous doing bands. And we modelled ourselves, this is probably early 80s, on the bands that were famous at the time, as you always do. So we tried to be the jam. And and no one's going to be as good as the jam. So we just, and, and all bands, by the way, everyone who was 15 in 1980 was trying to be Paul Weller. Yeah. No question. He was the coolest person. And then I just thought maybe we should flip it and we should do something that's really uncool. And it was it was just a silly idea at the weekend, but we got some of our parents' trousers and we put extra insets into them. So the flare was mine. I think the diameter was forty three inches, oh and and they had actually got a stopping distance of of about three yards. You know, and we we posed for this picture and we said we're now only re releasing songs about flared trousers. And this thing went in the local paper that Cheem produces the world's most unfashionable punk band. And then it went completely crazy. And I suppose it's a great lesson about news that, that news is, is, is man by its dog. So having a cool band like the jam, you're never going to get arrested. But if you have the, the, the most unfashionable punk band in the country and you're all wearing flared trousers, we got on Radio One, we had the six o'clock show come down and interview us. It was all, and we thought we were famous, of course, but then it only lasts six minutes. So in a way, it was a tragic lesson. But is there any of that music out there that we can listen to now? This, I think we've got some tapes somewhere. It was all very badly recorded. But the, the, behind it was my brother, because my brother has an incredible musical composition thing. So he can play drums and bass and guitar and keyboards. and all that. So he was able to write 10 songs just like that. So we actually had a sort of set list, but they were all about flared trousers and other unfashionable items of clothing. We had a song called Sensible Shoes. We had a song called University Sweatshirts. We basically, all our songs are about things that you wouldn't be seen dead in. So by, by being called the most unfashionable punk band, you basically got what you wanted, didn't you? Because that's the image you were creating. So you were given the yes. correct title. 
Yeah, I mean, what I learned was that news always does the thing that's the opposite of what you expect. And I suppose it was a, a lesson about news. And But in the end, it I, I mean, it's funny looking back on it. And we had so much attention from the local papers. Every week we would have a, we've got a new female singer, then we've sacked her, then we've got a new bass player, then we've sacked him. And it, it, But in the end, I suppose that's the media environment we're in now. And it seems a bit silly to yeah. me. But that's just because I'm grown up now and I wasn't then. Then it was brilliant. Well, that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? You've got yeah. to live the moment. And it was so much fun. Yeah. yeah, we had the worst thing we had because we obviously had to start playing live, and you know I won't say we weren't ready for that. But I, and I could play drums, and my brother played guitar, but we we put the guy on drums who was the singer, and he couldn't play the drums very well, and that went wrong. So I said, okay, I'll do drums. Tim, my brother, does guitar, and and the other guy, Simon, known as Wilma. Would would sing. And we got to this this gig in Durham, and we'd given it. A, I, I edited the student newspaper, so I'd given it a lot of publicity. And the being in the day, back in the day, people didn't have phones; they could be on all night, so they had to go to things. So this place was absolutely packed where we were playing. And I, the idea was, I'm going to come out and I'm going to start a rhythm on the drum kit, and then the other two will come out and join in one at a time, right? And they just took forever to come out. It must have been five or six minutes. <laughs> And apparently the what had happened was that they'd been dressing somewhere they weren't allowed to be and a cleaner had arrived and started asking them what you're doing here and they'd had to and they'd forgotten. So it was it was <laughs> absolutely so I said, Where are you guys? Come on, you know. And then they got in a door yeah, so anyway, the whole thing was brilliantly chaotic. I'm loving that bird that keeps it's not roosting isn't the word, is it? No, but I kinda of, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but that part of me always sort of when I had during the, the the proper proper lockdown, my hair I didn't wash my hair for six weeks and it became almost dreadlocky. And I was yeah. thinking, if it's a girl, how nice it would be if it created a little nest in my hair and they oh. oh my goodness. I mean blokes and their you could do a whole podcast on hair because men the hair hair apartheid is happening now because what happens is women, friends of mine, are are just so upset about having had no hairdressing. My mum's hair has grown outwards. She's having to find a different room for it now. She's so got, she she become Leo Thayer. Oh, complete. Whereas me, it's three minutes in the morning, you know, and, and I'm sort of larging it up saying, okay, now we see hair loss is actually, you know, quite a cool thing, everyone. Um, how do you feel about beards, by the way, on men? I, uh, I want them to be controlled. And I think the, the key worry about beards is that they've been appropriated by hipsters and one of the yeah one of the issues we've got on radio too is is hipsters keep creeping into stories when we're not ready for them so we had a story the other day about the the upsurge in in milk bottle deliveries people ordering milk in bottles and it turns out it's all in shortage it's so it's not really a a real thing it's just that That lot yeah, that lot with the, the bearded, the bearded ladies, because none of them are actually, in my experience, I'm sure that's not the case, but the majority of men who wear beards are sort of trying to, it's a bit like driving a Ferrari, you know, it's a bit of a midlife crisis thing, but it's happening to younger men and it kind of, I think it sort of adds to their testosterone more than a fashionable appeal. How interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I was at university in Durham in the 80s, there were six, I think it was 6,000 students. Is that right? Yeah, it probably was. And I think only three of them had beards and one of them had a problem with alcohol. So obviously he wasn't necessarily in control of the agenda. And 
uh, it's really amazing to me that there was so little beard wearing. And I think had I, if I, if I went back 30 years, I probably would have decided to sport a beard. Somebody the other day, and it's, it's here still, but they gave me some moustache wax. I mean, is that a thing? Someone gave me some, some, yeah. yeah. The idea the idea you you why were you giving, like, like Poirot? But why would they give that to you? They, it was a gift from somebody. I think I was interviewing them, and it was probably again another hipster who crept into a story somehow. And the, on the way out the studio, this is in the days when we were allowed to actually physically be in the same room. He gave me some and said, "You might find this helpful." I thought, "Well, you no, know, do, do you think I've got Hello. a moustache?" Yeah, I think I probably need it more than you. I've probably got more hairs <laughs> than you have. But you could I use it on your so. flyaway eyebrows, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't thought of getting a beard. I credit to hipsters. Good luck to them. I love it when there's a, a style fashion thing. There was a picture of a guy on the tube a while back. He had a very long brown beard. He's about 25. He was wearing a lycra top. He wore normal shorts and then very long, colourful socks with the word meat on them in capital letters. And, <laughs> and he was carrying a leather briefcase. And someone said, that is the hip. That's the hipster look. That's it. He's got the whole thing. <laughs> I love that you noticed that. Oh, I kept the you photo. Took it all in. Oh, yeah. And then there was a thing in The Guardian that said the key, the key extra issue is if you open the case, there's only one thing in it. And it's a Japanese novel. That's the key thing. And then you're a hipster. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, so you go, but that so that was on the tube, was it? So you weren't on your yeah. bike. Yeah, no, that well, that was a photo taken on the tube, not by me. Okay, okay not I'll, by I'll, you. I'll try and find it and send it to you because it's it's a classic. Yeah, I'd it's love brilliant. to see that. It's brilliant. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So your day, Jeremy, you get up at some ungodly hour. What is it? Kind of 4.30 or something. 4.42, yeah. So do you the night before, because you've got to go, you've got to do the Jeremy Vine show on Channel 5, and then you've got to do your Radio 2 show. So that's, even for a woman who's used to doing five changes a day, see you, you are the male Lady Gaga. I mean, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I don't see it like that, because the most stressful thing for a broadcaster, as you, as you you and I both know, is, is, is not having a microphone or a red light. So the more microphones, the better. I love the news thing as well. Today, for example, we did a whole thing on... You yeah, know, but how do you dress her. for it? Oh, dressing, how sorry. How do you dress for it? Yeah, how so do, you, in the, do, do you lay it all out the night before? 
Okay. Um, this morning I got up. Cycling. Yeah. You've got to be presentable. For... I know. Well, and today's... then you've got to be comfy yeah. cozy on radio. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Because today will be a really good example of how it can go wrong. Because I get up. The weather reports at the moment are very inaccurate. I had, I wear some blue chinos and I'm going to show you. There they are, right? I put those on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I then, I then wore, <laughs> believe it or not, a slightly lycra t shirt. Let's just pass over a blue, this blue jacket. I then go outside to unlock my bike. And I remember that actually I can't use it today because I've got to pick one up from the shop down the road from here in a minute or 20 minutes. And, and therefore I think I'm going to get a, one of those electric line bikes which are on the street. So it's pouring with rain. I put my, my Mac on, which doesn't help. I then put, oh, this is terrible to say this to you because you're going to just go mad. I put on waterproof trousers with bicycle clips around the bottom of them. I, I know. You caught me on the worst day. No, no, no. I then, then go, go and I discover the line bike isn't at my end of the road. It's, a, it's across the A4. So I have to go under the subway. And in doing that, I drop a glove. So once I've got the bike, I have to cycle back for it. I then get absolutely sopping wet on my journey to Channel 5, 7 miles. Uh, sorry, uh, Channel 5 ITN building, which you know. And then I then have to take find new socks because my socks are wet. So it was a catastrophe this morning. And I don't know if there's any way, Susanna Constantine, of actually being being in the rain and fashionable because I haven't found it. I think the rain... No, the, you know what? There isn't. And especially yeah. if you're on your bicycle. So I would, you've got to let go of that. So you are totally forgiven. And I'm sorry you dropped your glove. But do you wear the same clothes all day in your working day? So do you wear what you're wearing on your TV show, on your radio show? Quite often I come in. I've got a lot of suits in, in the cupboard at ITM Productions, which makes the Channel 5 show. And then I'll change into a suit and then change back into the clothes. I cycled in, in, and then I go to Radio 2 and I that stuff. But I, I do, when I get home at three o'clock or whatever, if, if I get home in good time, I will get straight in the shower. I mean, I think, you know, that's quite important. So I don't ever feel, I think the Channel 5, because I'm visual, I do think about what I'm wearing. So that's why you very kindly notice the shirts. And, and then I do have suits and I might, so this morning, actually, funny enough, I did just wear those trousers that I'm showing you there, those those chinos. Again, was, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's probably not a very glamorous <laughs> angle there. Yeah. And, um, but yes, but they want to show the chinos one more. Can I just do that one more time? So I'm, I'm just, it's, it's, it's just, can I just stress that is the lower half of my leg. Okay, okay. lovely, lovely, so, lovely chinos. What's your view on a chino? I like a chino. I like a chino if they're flat fronted and they've got pockets that you can, you know, at the side of your hip that you can mm. put in, and they're not too skinny. I hate chinos that are like jeans, but in chino material. Right, right. I, so what are you wearing? Are you wearing chinos like I, that? You are, I'm afraid you? they are. Yes, I'm not yeah, going to show okay, them again. Shame on you. Yeah. No, I'm not going to. But I had a thing the other day because the rain is really causing me a problem with my clothing and everything because of my cycling. And I had one the other day where I started cycling. It wasn't raining. And again, the forecaster said no rain. So what's going on with the weather? They all, they all ill or what? The weather <laughs> forecasters. And I cycle in and I get hit by more rain than I've ever even imagined. Right. It was like a Stephen King film or something. And when I get into work, I need to put other jeans on because I can't even attend the meeting. I'm so wet. And I go down and I remember that I have another pair of trousers. But the reason they're in the office is that they are so bad my family said they could never be in the house so these <laughs> were they were actually japanese imports of my inner hipster they were too short for me very wide and they had about eight or nine different patches on them so you can visualize that so i looked like the american Leo Sayer. or carpenter gothic you know that 
the painting of the guy with the pitchfork. Yes. And everyone was just laughing and laughing at these trousers, you know. Yeah. Well, you have a I need. I really need. Okay. I need you to sort this out, Susanna. I. Well, you know what, Jeremy? I would so happily, happily do that. But um, but I don't really care too much about what happens to you on your bicycle, other than you you stay safe. Because uh, you know my feelings on bicycles because and cyclists because I came on your show because they slightly yeah. irritate me. I remember you came on the show to apologise for something and you ended up making it even worse. But I can't, I can't even remember yeah, what no. it was. It's all forgiven. You know what? Not. You've always got to be honest and outspoken in life. I love that. You've got, to, you've got to tell the truth. You know, I'm not going to pander. But anyway. I mean, all the viewers agree with you. I remember. I couldn't. I've just, I know. They agree with every word. Yeah, poor Jeremy. <laughs> but Jeremy, how much? Because all that I look at my husband. My husband is a an exception because actually he doesn't he goes cycling and swimming trunks when it's raining I mean, literally wow. and but the, the people who he cycles with they spend so much money on these bloody clothes are you the same do you spend a fortune on your cycling no gear? I, that, I don't even have a, a register for that at all I mean I, I use my bicycle to get to work and the reason I do that is because the journey from channel 5 to radio 2 today because of this slight glitch with my bike at the bike shop I had to do by car, it took 36 minutes. When I do it by bike, every day it takes 11 minutes. Every single day, 11 minutes. So it's just function. So where people are spending their money, I've got... No, what is he buying with all that money? Well, he doesn't. It's other people. He wears, he's in his swimming trunk. trunk oh, I see. Kind right. of old Abercrombie and Fitch t-shirt, which belonged to his son. But um, I just don't know. I, I don't know. But then you're not the kind of cyclist who clogs up country roads, are you, in packs? In no, I mean, that is an ambition, but I haven't I haven't got that far yet. No, is, is it really an ambition? Well, I think I think I would like I do. I've decided. Oh, here we go. We're going to disagree now. I've decided that while on the road, I will assert my presence. I think it's it's better than being constantly. Oh, yes. Yes. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want to slow tractors down. No. OK, we'll leave it. You won't. I can just see it kindling the argument here. Yeah. Yes, yes, let's not. Let's not. No, let's not go there. I'll call so, for your husband if you, if you do, do that. that. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he's. He'll he agree with that's you. That's another story. Yeah, he will agree with you. But do you have, so, do you have, is that, I don't imagine you do actually, but do you have a piece of clothing that you would call a comfort blanket? Yes, can I show you? Just yeah. a second. I want to look. I'm just, let me just, you can hear that. Oh my God. And what I'm, I'm doing, doing, I'm not. Taking I'm just, off those chinos. No, I'm taking off um, my belt because I would like to praise this belt. Now, this, it goes, so I'm just holding it up here. And what this belt does that's revolutionary. Oh, I see it. Okay, there it is. Why do you think that belt is special? Um, well, it looks totally unspecial, but I'm, well, I'll tell you the why. fastening, it's the fastening and it's got a magnet in there. No, it's, a oh, magnet would be good. What it's got, Susanna, is, and have a listen. It's okay. got a it ratchet. It sounds like, it sounds like a bicycle. It sounds like a bicycle chain. No, That's why you love it. No, it's, it, we're moving away now. Fashionable men are moving away from holes in the belt. The idea of a belt buckle and a hole, right? Yeah, in because, the belt, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, um, yeah. The So this, can you see that? It it ratchets. Okay. So, so I like to wear this wherever I am, really, unless I'm swimming. So 
<laughs> that, like, can you see? So you can adjust it according to It's lovely. So it can go in and then you release it and then it, you can go out and that's a belt. That's, is that quite a new a new acquisition? I don't know. I got it off, off Amazon. There we are. Look, that's what it looks like. No one would know, looking at that, that it's it's such an important thing. But, but did I, you find it by accident on Amazon? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I had a problem where, you know, where that thing with the belt buckle eventually wears the hole out and stuff, and I thought I'm going to have to get a new belt. And you know, usually a, a guy should only need to buy a belt once every 12 or 13 years. So I go online to have a look, and I find this, and it's got a load of reviews of people saying this changed my life. Now, what it means is that if you, you know, you can adjust it during the day. I'm not, I'm not selling it to you. I know. I'm literally, I'm trying to stay awake. Keep going. It's function. <laughs> I know it's function, right? I know, it's such but a boy thing. It's such a listen man to thing. That. Yeah. So dull, yeah. No, I do, the... I do love the, I do love the sound and I can understand why that gives you hours of pleasure. Mm, that, that's a comfort blanket. Yeah, I'm very happy for you. Okay, so that's like if, yeah, if you tighten it in front of people, it does make a sinister clicking noise. And they think <laughs> you've got an artificial hip. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But ratchet is such a good word, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I, I didn't even know what it is. Certain words, yeah, ratchet. I think a ratchet only goes one way, doesn't it? I think. No idea. Absolutely no idea. But you've got two teenage daughters. Yes. Is that right? And um, what do they think about the way you dress? Or do they? Oh, we know. Well, we know they've kind of they've edited your claw shirt, and they hate your lace trousers. I, I don't think it's it's personal to the dress. I think they're embarrassed by everything at the moment. They're just in that okay. phase. Eat if you if you say anything while eating, it's please close your mouth while you're eating. Have you been through that stage? I'm sure you have. So yeah, yeah. So I uh, they. They one thing that is actually a solace is that the really fashionable thing now for and they're 13 and 16 is that they wear old band T-shirts. Yeah. So, so my daughter went to school yesterday in a T-shirt that said ACDC. And then she said, have you got any others? I said, have I got any others? I'll buy. Listen, oh, yeah, Led Zepp. So you can have as many as you want. So this is that's fantastic. But I think I'm worried it's ironic. No, I don't think it is actually because my daughters are the same. They love those, and it's it's for them. It's not ironic, and they right. actually love that music anyway, more almost more than I do. But um, so have you had a wardrobe malfunction, Jeremy? Yeah, the this is a bit of a, an interesting insight into my kind of university days. I was invited to a dinner party when I arrived at university, and it was Durham in the eighties. Quite, quite a lot of posh people there, and I kind of. I made friends with some of the posh people and I'm not, I'm not very posh myself. And they said it's black tie. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Cause I, I definitely have a black tie. And I turned up just wearing a, I mean, obviously other clothes, but just wearing a black, black tie. tie. And, and then they, they were all in bow ties. And I, I thought this is, these <laughs> people are obviously <laughs> living differently. I didn't know. So I was 18. I would never have known what black tie meant. You know, you are you're making you are making that up. No, not at all. Why would an 18 year old oh, know what black tie is? You made that up. You I, didn't. I haven't had a wardrobe malfunction. Hmm. Your know, must have worn a black tie. Not once. Not no kind of 
middle 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 class cheem you wouldn't get that you there wasn't anything like that going on i mean the the thing not only have i not made it up the joy of that is i've never told anyone that before because <laughs> i have even told my wife because i when you when you mentioned wardrobe malfunction i had to really think and i thought actually i felt really socially awkward that i made that mistake you know now i think actually it's quite it speaks quite well of me i think it's great yeah but yeah made up story okay so <laughs> Let's go on to something that's real, which yeah, is your new book, your new novel, The Diver and the Lover. I'm so interested about the premise of this, that you based it around a Dali painting. Uh, what is it? Christ of St. John. Christ of St. Yeah. Yeah. Christ of St. John. Tell me about Christ. that. It's, well, essentially, it's a love story about two young sisters who go to Spain in the 1950s. And one of them has been through a terrible trauma and is only just coming out. They've got a big age difference. And the younger one is much more boisterous and, and sort of um, confident. But the older one's in a terrible state. And the one thing she really loves is is the surreal art, which which at the time was was really divisive thing. And they go to Spain and they end up in the area where this this crazy artist Salvador Dali is painting. And and they get involved in his painting of this famous picture, Christ of St. John of the Cross. Now, the reason I wanted this in the book is because I became a bit obsessed with it myself. It's in the Kelvin Grove. And I was told about it when I was filming Eggheads in Glasgow because we had a Salvador Dali question, who invented the lobster telephone, which you would know. And, and I said, gosh, he's an interesting artist. I know nothing about him. And they said, oh, well, one of his famous paintings is down the road in the Kelvin Grove. So I went and it's an amazing picture of Christ on the cross from above based on a, a sketch done in the 1570s by a monk called St. John of the Cross. So my story is that essentially... Although a stuntman posed it for Dali in real life, in my book, the stuntman walks out and he chooses or really forces a, a local waiter in a hotel to be the person who poses the painting and it's going to destroy the waiter and my heroine is in love with him. So that's it. And the reason I thought of that was because when I was in the gallery and I was looking at this painting thinking this is unbelievable, I turned and saw on the wall this tiny little sticker which said that it was posed by a stuntman called Russell Saunders and Dali said, you're going to have to hang from a gantry in the ceiling of my studio so I can see the effects of gravity on your body. So he actually hung the guy from his studio ceiling to do it. So that's what my book is based on. But it's a love story, really, about Spain in the 50s, which is a crazy place. And you do love, um, have you read Shadow of the Wind? No, tell me, tell me. Oh my God, you must, it's during the Civil War. And um, and it's about this Shadow of the Wind, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll- I need to write this down. Okay, wait, I'm gonna write it down. And it's about this, his father has this library, it's called the Library of Lost Books. And it's all the books, the orphaned books, of which there are millions and millions. And then in this library, without realizing they have this incredibly valuable book and it's how mm -hmm. this young boy rescues this book weaving his way through all the kind of chaos that's going on and um and um, civil unrest and everything and it's it's so exciting and so beautifully written and evocative of spain at that time so i think you'll really enjoy it thank you thank you very much yeah well it's a it's i think we all need stories these days particularly as we're all still locked in a bit you know yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, how do you have the time to write it to start with? 
I, I, I think it was before I started Channel Five. I had this idea of doing it, and I started bits and bobs, and then I, and then I was just filling spare moments. And somebody did say to me a brilliant piece of advice. Actually, is just, just keep writing. Now I know that sounds really obvious, but it's often if you're, you'll know this. You're writing a book. Often you, you open your laptop and you just read it instead of writing it. So you read what you've written already. You've got it. You've got to just the, the, the bit you've done is done, and you're now going to go on to the next bit. And, and and try and do 500, 1,000 words a day and just do bit by bit. I was writing it in cafes and stuff. I got really into it, actually. I really, really got into it. Yeah. Have I sent you a copy? Can I send you one? No, please, please release because I really do I'd love, love to. Because my, weirdly, my, my last novel is, the story is set in London in 1979. And the backdrop for that is the emerging gay scene and the art world, which at that time it was like, Moroccan Rococo was what was in fashion. And uh -huh. it's how this young girl finds her heritage and her, uh, through this painting that she gets restored. And um, so, wow. yeah. Uh, we both got a painting thing. We both got a painting thing. Okay. Um, but did you, but, but did you kind of like that thing of being alone when you wrote? Or that thing of being, like, if you go to a cafe, this is just, I'm genuinely interested about this part of the podcast. Did you like that? thing of um being alone but not alone when you're in a cafe yes i do I'm, i think i'm quite i'm somebody who i think the world does divide into people who can eat at a table for one and people who can't and i'm quite i can I'm definitely do a table for one yeah and then sometimes i can be in a restaurant on my own and um i'll uh, people was well i can see people think is that guy ill or has he got no friends or and I'm thinking, what is the problem here? Because because I'm more, I'm, I've got stuff going on, you know. But yeah. some people feel it's really exposing. But I do, I think I'm dancing on my own less so. I think I think that yeah, would be yeah, more maybe. problematic. Yeah, maybe. But that's good. I'm actually going. I'm about to start my third one, and I'm going up to this island in um, the Hebrides. And I've I've taken I've rented this little tiny bossy, which is two rooms, no electricity. No um, Wi-Fi, no, no phone. Wi I don't know if don't, don't know if it has. So I got to do all my research before, and I've got books and stuff. Wow! And I have to chop my own wood. There's um, there is one running water. The showers outside, and I, it's right on the sea. And I I'll have no one there. And I'm doing that right. for three weeks. Okay. The only problem there would be if if like in. The, not desperate housewives, but where you get somebody mowing the lawn and they look like the bloke in Poldark, and then there's a distraction. You know, you know so, so I mean, I, the, the sh I should be so bloody lucky. You know, fingers crossed. Because <laughs> there's so little going on in what you described. I would worry about one single distraction. That would be, mind you, that could then be the book, couldn't it? Could be, well, it could be the next one. Um, so, well, I think that's it, apart from one final question. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I've got great hopes for the answer to this question. Okay, no more fibs. Um, uh, or belt. No, it was true that no, the, the belt was bad, but the the joy of the belt and the black tie is they were both true. I promise that. So, so what would be your birthday suit? What is your go-to? I want to my um, stand out every day, but what is something that you really love to wear? I've got a pair of crocodile shoes. You have not. They're, they're not, not real. Really? No, they're not real crocodile, and that would be wrong. They are shoes that you would think were crocodile because that is the proper patterning of them. And I have worn them once, and I am waiting 
for the right moment. And I keep seeing them and it challenges me. Why is your life not included a crocodile shoe moment since 2001? Wow. What shape yeah. are they? Do they have a buckle? Yes, no, that's a good, they're so pointed. I think the word might be winkle oh. that they okay. appear in the I'm room going before on me. No, don't, you know what I mean? That point that goes, Yeah, no, so I know, big. I hate winkle shoes, but yeah. Oh, really? They're uncomfortable, which is good. That yeah, is good, join our club. But fantastic. And are they black or brown? They're, well, no, they're, 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 the actual, the sort of skin, the, the serpent-like crocodile reptily skin is properly scaly and it's got a selection of greens in it. So I think this crocodile was green. It might have eaten something. I didn't agree with it. But it's it's it it looks crocodilian. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah really? Okay. So I can show you a, send you a photo of that. Yeah, yeah. Please, will you send me a photograph of the shoes? I'm, I'm dying to see those. I'm dying. Right. Okay, and then we'll find a moment where I can actually wear them. Yeah, we'll find a moment. We'll find you something to wear with them, more to the point. Uh, maybe it'll be your black tie and your belt. <laughs> all together. <laughs> um, Jeremy, you are, you're just amazing, and I really wish you all the luck with your um, novel, The Vibrant Lover. You. Please send it to me. I will. I'm going to today. I will go home and I've got stamps and I'm going to send it. All right, my love. Okay, thank you so very much. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Jeremy. I do hope you enjoyed spending time with him as much as I did. Right, before we go, a few quick reminders. First, our pyjama party. The place where you tell me all about your own clothing calamities. Find it on our website at mywardmail.com and if you have a story you'd like to share, then email me at help at mywardmail.com. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at mywardmail. And I'd be eternally grateful if you could rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. That's it, nearly. Thanks to our masterly house band duo. Find and buy their new album at duoguitarmusic.com or at Duo Guitar Music on their socials. Oh, and again, thank you, Jeremy. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. 